Both of those uh, those songs. Thinking on that that first one. What a friend we have in Jesus. And how true that is. And how... Well, we hear... I mean... There, there are many that, that want to make... Bring, uh, bring Jesus down... A little bit closer. And I don't know if they... Intend to... To, uh, to disrespect or, or to not give... Christ reverence... But nonetheless, that that, is, that does happen, and that has happened, where they, they make Jesus as if he's just just a really good close close friend of mine. He's got my back, and I don't have to worry about things. And some of <laughs> I don't want to <laughs> sound rude, but some of the older older people here may not re- recognize the the ridiculous language, but. My friend used to always wear a shirt that said, Jesus is my, my homeboy. And it's such a, a ridiculous, it was such a ridiculous, disrespectful thing to me. And his sentiment was just how, how tight and what a personal close relationship he and, and Christ had. And yet that reverence isn't there for that, that Lord and Savior and that, that King of King of Heaven. But all the same it is true that Jesus is our friend and, and that song, that first song so much, how much it tells how all these problems that we may have or worries and cares and, and that needless pain that we bear. And Christ is that comforter for those things. He has been given to us and dwells in, dwells within us. And that second song also talked about how He hears our prayers and answers our prayers and how hard it is for us, how hard it is for me to, to go to that first. My problems seem to need to be solved by me first. And most of the time that's not what happens. They don't get solved. And then when things really get bad, then it seems that I can I can go to Christ, but it almost seems with this this stubborn flesh that I have that even when we go to that, and I hate to say it like this, but it, it, it is that way in, in this fleshly mind of mine, go to that last resort. Even then, how much it seems, well, I, I don't know if the problem's actually going to get solved. I'll just, I'll do this because I know it's good and I know it's right, but I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm just praying and what will actually, what will come of it. what he hears and he answers every single one of those prayers and we all probably know and I, I know of instances where people have prayed for things and it didn't turn out exactly as they prayed for and that was their uh, justification for, for God and for Jesus not being real as if he's a magic genie that just grants wishes And I think the thing that for me has proven true so so often when I have worries or fears or troubles or, or things that don't seem to be going right, that when I am, am given that, that grace to believe and to pray,
to, to Jesus and to God our Father that he answers that prayer and, and, and many times that answer is is I guess this pertains mostly to, to natural things, natural problems and, and worries and cares most of the time that answer is how how meaningless all else is outside of Christ and how how needless it is to worry about these things of this life and it, and it almost is shown to me in that way that I don't want to say kind of a, not a a, a gentle a gentle uh, slap upside the head in a way that it is shown to me that, that like well Claire why on earth are you even why, that's not even anything that you need to be thinking about or anything that you need to worry about and I hope that can be that way for all of us that when those worries and those cares and those fears come for some of these for, for many things how insignificant they are when it comes down to that that last day that all that matters is that we believe in Jesus Christ and Him crucified and raised again. And and how much it, it in those instances how much we I and I hope all of us and, and for me we see how much Christ Jesus is is my all in all. And that is where everything, every all that is important lies. I'll read this morning from the third chapter of Matthew. And I'll read the whole chapter at 17 verses. That's Matthew chapter 3. Reading in Jesus' name. In those days came John the Baptist, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. From this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And the same John had his raiment of camel's hair and a leathern girdle about his loins, and his meat was locusts and wild honey. Then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region round about Jordan and were baptized of him in Jordan confessing their sins but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism he said unto them O generation of vipers who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come bring bring forth therefore fruits meet for repentance and think not to say within yourselves we have Abraham to our father For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which bringeth forth not good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Then cometh Jesus from Galilee unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? And Jesus answered and said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Amen. Be greeted this morning with greetings of grace, mercy, and peace from God our Heavenly Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, now and forever, henceforth. Amen.
think Uncle George read from the, the chapter just before this last week, and I guess I kind of just read on from there, and, and I don't know why it always seems so amazing to me, because it's hard to find a, a chapter that doesn't have so much truth in it in the Bible. There's The, the whole Bible is truth, and sometimes it just... Seems that I, uh, we see something and it maybe haven't thought particularly on it for a while and, and, and see the, the, the power in, in God's Word and the, and the lessons and stories herein. But this message in the first few verses, the first two verses, for myself just in my own experience and we see I've seen those old newspapers or or magazines and and people in the streets with signs saying to repent for the kingdom of his heaven is at hand and and so much so now these days anybody that is like that is, is kind of looked on upon as kind of a maybe pushy or, or a little bit too I don't know I don't know what the word is I know that I know that the, uh, the non-christian world kind of looks at people like that as maybe being a little crazy and 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 okay well that's not going to help anybody to just go out and yell at them that they need to repent But how much this message hasn't changed, and how much it, it, it shouldn't change for us. And not saying that we aren't we aren't fulfilling our duty by going out and, and out in the streets with large signs t- telling people to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But it is true that the kingdom of heaven is at hand and and in this instance I believe that not yet had that that kingdom come into place as it is and not that not that it wasn't about to be set up but we 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 know that that further on here and when in Christ's fulfillment of, of of prophecy and all that happened that that kingdom was set up, and, and I might be going off on, on different trails, but how much denial there is of that even in the Christian world that that, that kingdom still needs to be still needs to be set up, and, and there's that that futile waiting for a, a, a physical kingdom to be set up, and they'll be looking looking here and looking there and they'll never find it if that's where you're looking they'll never find it if you're looking for a physical palace and a and a and a government set up by Christ and how sad it is i know many people that think that way and, and how much we need to pray for them that that word would be open to them this understanding that I, I believe we have here is not something that is, is given by by reading or being learned people. It is it is given to us by God that is a, a understanding by grace that we have. But these first two verses it seems I guess it doesn't necessarily need to be those first two verses, but this this chapter, first part of it, and it speaks of John preaching in the wilderness. And I, I don't know how I'm thinking on it, but I, I was thinking the other day how it kind of just kind of made a, a different 
shift in what I understood there, and that the wilderness, when I was young and, and have read this in the past, it seems, well, yeah, John was out in the, out in the, out in the bushes. He was out in the desert and the, and the wild, just, that's what he was doing. And I do not know exactly, exactly the, the, where he was or, or any, any actual location of what, where he was or who he was preaching to. But it says that he was preaching in the wilderness. And I don't know that he was preaching to the animals. And maybe he was in the wilderness and maybe there were a lot of people out there as well. But that is also where we are today. And it's hard to say and there's so many ways that we can look at it and it's easy to say, well, it was better in the past and it's getting worse now or it was worse in the past and then it got better and now it's gotten worse and there always seems to be our own opinion of how this world is going. And I don't know that it's, the world has gotten any, any better. I don't know that it's, the world has changed from the time John was preaching in the wilderness to the time it is right now. There might be more people on earth, but sin still has the same hold on this world as it ever has. And Christ still is, and, and God is still in control of this world as he ever was. There is no difference in that. But I was thinking that it is so for us that we must be, must be John in a way here. Uh, not necessarily, but John, but you know what I mean, that we must be the preachers of that, wor- that word. And I was saying this world hasn't gotten any better, and I don't know that it's gotten any worse, but it hasn't gotten any better, and we are still, we are still in this wilderness. We are still in this earth. And this world te- word tells us that we are not of this world. But we are in this world, and we, there is no no varying in that until until judgment. And our message that we should be preaching, while we were in this wilderness, this wilderness that is harsh and and and, and sets all these obstacles and, and things against us, and. and we think I think of a wilderness and you think of, of cougars and, and bears and all these things that might attack us and there's that sin in this world that, that comes at us and it comes at us a lot sneakier and, and more subtle than than a grizzly jumping out in front of us. It sneaks in and it it's a a, a bush that we can get tangled up in quite easily. And how many in this world are tangled up in that bush? And it's like I was saying at the beginning, it is a, a, a hard message and it seems like a, like a difficult thing for us to just tell people to repent. They need to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And how true that is. And, and I struggle... I struggle with this myself because sometimes I don't know how it is exactly we are to be. And I don't know that I'm especially a polite person, but I, I do have a, have a, a notion that it's easier to kind of ease your way into the, the, that conversation kind of prime a non-believer and, and soften them down to the idea of Christ and to come around it in a way that they might not see it coming and then five, ten conversations down the road kind of say, well, the, the reason that we're talking, I mention anything along these lines, you must realize that there is 
Jesus and, and, and God is real. And I don't know, I don't know if that's necessarily absolutely wrong. But at the same time, when you read this word, I can't find any instances where Jesus behaves in that way. And I can't see any instances where John or, or any of his disciples behave in that way. John's message wasn't, you guys might read, I don't know if you realize, but you might not be doing things the way that you should be doing, or how do you feel about this, or do you think that there could be a God, or, or what do you think if, what do you think is going to happen after you die, or anything like that. And not that we need to be demanding of people, but that message should be the truth. And, and not to say that the first thing you need to say is, well, you need to repent. Don't come to somebody, somebody straight off the street and say, and they're living in sin and they may not see and it's like, you need to repent and go waving your finger in their face. And I don't think that's the way to do it either. But that message needs to be truth not watered down and not brought about in a, in a sneaky way or a subtle way that they might, might ease into that idea. I just don't see any, any indication that we are to, that, that anybody in this word treated that word that way. And like I said, it's those human What's the word I'm looking for? Our, our own sort of politeness or, or correctness or, or way that we need to behave that really fights against thinking that way. But when it comes right down to it, what is at stake? We know what is at stake as believers and we don't believe in Christ because we were scared into that fact. But it seems that way that the more you understand of this word and the more understanding is given to you how much more straightforward it is and how much less lenient or polite it seems that Jesus or God is and I'm not saying I'm not at all saying that we, we aren't supposed to be polite or I think you know that I'm, I'm not saying that but God and, and Jesus is always absolute matter of fact of the truth and on the truth he does not give people he's not a respecter of persons as it says this word is not a respecter of persons and I've probably said it before but in one of Luther's sermons he says that he finds it impossible not to offend if he is preaching the truth it is impossible to not offend those our fleshly sensibilities or our own opinions and, and to offend that sinful flesh that we have if we are hearing or speaking that truth. And that message here that repent for the kingdom of his heaven is at hand, that should be our message as well. And it can come in, that doesn't have to be that sentence, but that, there, that only way into that kingdom is by repentance. And the only way to repentance is by understanding the truth. And I know how often we hear it from this, this place and how much we, we know it, each of us, but the only way, the only real job 
I guess we can say, of a Christian is to preach that truth. That truth that was not given to us or, or come to us by our own accord, but given to us by God. A gift that we can, we can only give. We can't give the understanding. We can't give anything else outside of preaching that truth. That is of God. This chapter seems so full of, of, of valuable lessons. This fourth verse, and the same John had his raiment of camel's hair and a leathern girdle about his loins, and his meat was locusts and wild honey. And I know I've said something on this before, and I think I read, and it talks of, uh, of, I don't even know how to actually pronounce that name, but Isaiah or Isaiah, or I don't even know how you say it with that lettering, but we know Isaiah or Elisha, I guess. Elijah. Yeah, Elijah. Um, but very much the same. I mean, it is it is the same their condition and then how they were and and what a lesson that is for us just in in the realization of how humble and brought down both of those men had to be. And truly it's a a lesson for us that that's how we should be as well. And not to be proud in in the fact that we have little or or I don't even think that we are necessary. I mean, I don't know, it's just sometimes... (laughs) I go back and forth on, on thinking of things and thinking about the, uh, the rich, rich young man that didn't want to give away all his all his belongings to follow Christ. And sometimes I wonder, well, I don't know if that's if that's me as well. It's hard to to give up the things that I've collected in my life, these material things. And I don't know that we need to throw everything out of our house and, 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 and wear clothes from an animal and, and to eat only locusts and wild honey, but it is a lesson there that how little importance I think that we need to put on these things of this earth and to these material things and to not see anything in our duty except to preach Christ as John is here and Elijah was. And I never thought about it and, and I don't know actually I didn't borrow the book, but Shane had that, that book of Elijah the Tishbite and how it points out and I hadn't really thought about about it before that point how that wasn't necessarily a, a, a glorious thing. And we look at Elijah and we think, when I think of Elijah, what a great man of God he was and, and what understanding he's given and, and John as well, what, what an amazing human he must have been to be in that position. But I don't think it was an, an enjoyable thing for either of them to be basically stripped down and, and have a, a loincloth and, and to be eating bugs and, and, and honey as your as your sustenance. That's not a, a an enjoyable thing. But how humble it, it, it humbling it would be and to know that your your reliance is fully on God. These things, these amazing men did not have the natural blessings that we would think that someone in their position might have. And I hate to, I don't, I'm not trying to condemn condemn the man or, or condemn him, but I, but the the sin and the 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 turning away from the truth is there, and I see it in in many of the uh, 
big name Christian preachers that you may hear about and, and some of them how unbelievably wealthy they are and how how proud they seem to be and there's so many so many teachings on on how well if we become a, a child of God that those blessings those natural blessings will come you don't have to go too much farther than than John here just in this chapter and think on John what natural blessings did John enjoy I don't think he ever thought he was poor but I don't think John had had too much natural and, and, and enjoyment and pleasure from the time Christ came here this day until the day he was he was killed. It's not a it's not an enviable life as far as our flesh goes. I know for myself if I had a choice between living with 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 wealth and, and, and being comfortable and not saying I need billions and millions and billions of dollars, but to be comfortable and to not have any want for anything and, and to have all these natural blessings. I think it seems much easier that I'd choose that than to have to live the life that John lived here until his end. There's nothing enviable in, in, in that as far as a natural life goes. And now I can't, I'm, I'm going off, but how much it says what a... What a I shouldn't even quote it, but but how highly he was thought of by I don't I'm, I'm sorry, but I'm confused by what what it might actually say there. But that John was a, a looked on well by God, to put it in a really paraphrased, simple way. <coughs> but that is our that that is our our riches. That we would much rather have those things of God, understanding and grace and mercy and forgiveness and a home in heaven and to be loved by God. We look at these men and it seems, like I said, it seems hard and I feel like it's easier, much easier to choose that, that easy route. But I pray for each of us that if those things, and not necessarily that anybody's ever going to come come to us, I think it'll be the opposite, but if nobody's going to come to us in our lifetime and say, well, you need to give away all these things and live out in the wilderness in order to remain a follower of Christ, But it is the same, the same question really. And it may come that somebody will, will come and ask if we are a follower of Christ. And it is the same answer that we would have to give up what we have. And I pray, pray for myself especially. It, it seems so, such a hard thing to think. Like I've said so many times, that, uh, that situation may come. So that may question may be asked of you, and I, I pray for each of us here, and we need to pray for all, each other as well that that strength and grace would be given to us, that we would have that courage—not not a, a fleshly courage, but that courage given by God—to proclaim that yes, we do believe in Christ Jesus. And to accept whatever loss, this physical and natural loss we might have to incur, might be incurred upon us by our answer there. It may be that our lives may be very much as John's. And it seems a, a, a hard thing to imagine to think of it in the way that the word puts it but that we would also be be glad in that and be thankful for that persecution 
Then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region round about Jordan, and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruits meet for repentance. I guess this is another example of, of, of what I was saying. It, John's not exactly easy on these Pharisees and Sadducees. He doesn't come out to them and say, I'm glad you guys are here. He says, here's some people. He doesn't say, here's some, some other guys that do know the scriptures. And maybe they, we can come to a common ground and, and work from there. And I don't think that that accusation or that that tone that John takes is something that John had of himself. And it seems so so harsh to me and so so amazing to me that he would speak in that way to those people that have the the, the power that they did have and control that they may have had over him even. But he comes right out and says, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring therefore, therefore, fruits meet for repentance, and think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. These Pharisees and Sadducees dwelled heavily on, on relied heavily on, on their knowledge and relied heavily on what they thought was was truth. And I'm sure that there were, were those, and I'm sure many of them, and I mean, of, of course, I believe they read all those old scriptures and knew it quite well. But as we know that they have, as Christ had even shown to them how much they had added and how much they had, had brought into that word of their own understanding and what needed to be done in order to gain gain that heaven and it is a, a like I said to our sensibilities what a what a troubling way for me to think of it that you would come out to say it like this but he also does ask them or implore them that if they would have bring therefore fruits meet for repentance and I don't know I don't know I don't we don't know the actual tone or how how it was spoken and there's so much I'm at we, you can say one thing to somebody and say it to the same person in a text or something and it might be a totally different tone and that can only come by understanding through reading this word what the tone may be even if that's even important but he does out call them out and call them vipers, but then he also bring forth therefore fruits meet for repentance. I think almost asking them if they did, if they were ready for that. If they were there coming with 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 uh, repentant hearts, if that was the reason for their coming. And then also telling them, think not to yourselves, to say within yourselves, to turn away from what they may have been thinking. That whatever John was saying couldn't be the truth, because we know the truth. We have Abraham as our father, and he was he knows he has given us this word by God. And he has given us all this, and he is our father not saying they didn't know God was their father but that Abraham was that that great teacher 
for them. And this reminded me how much it is so in our in my own experience with with friends or whoever like I said that that friend of mine that wore that shirt that I he he fully thought it was a, a nothing wrong with that shirt And I think I, I, I've thought on this a lot because I've had some friends from school that, that have been Christian and I, I I hate to not think of them that they might be that way but I know very much just from what they have said and what they have professed to believe how little of it seems to line up with scripture And there's a, the, there has been that shift from how these Pharisees and Sadducees have believed to the way many Christians today believe. And while they may be on the opposite ends of the script of, of the spectrum as far as what needs to be done or what needs to be adhered to and what doesn't need to be adhered to, the the situation is the same. And what reminded me of my friend is these verses that that those Pharisees and Sadducees would need to come to repent and I know at least for one of my friends that there was had never been any any need for repentance in his life he had never even something like along those lines wouldn't even have been a even remotely like what is that and why is that I have a personal relationship with Jesus and and I'm a Christian and there's power in in his blood and and that is I don't even know if he's I've ever heard him say anything as to why there's power in that blood but I was my thought was that how hard it seems it almost seems easier for for me and my thinking. It seems easier to go into the wilderness or out into the street and to find a, a total non-believer living in whatever sin and to tell them that you need to repent and to preach the truth unto them and, maybe, and to, to show them this word. Or not, I can't show them this word, but I can I can bring this word to them. It seems easier to do that, and it seems more likely for me, or more likely to me, that that person may come to know Christ much easier than I think it seems that to go to someone like my friend who thinks he's fully living in in Christ's truth, and yet has nothing. Like I said, it may be the opposite end of the spectrum, but I see the same situation here between these Pharisees and Sadducees and, and, and those Christians that that fully believe that they have have what is what is needed of them and, and not needed of them and from them but given to them by, by God that faith to believe the truth and it's not a, a, a simple word to to just quickly say and go over that truth, how how much importance it is in that word, and I know we all know that. To know that truth, there's a, a huge difference between. It is a harsh a harsh thing to say, but this word says it as well, and I, I'm not not meaning to offend. But there is a huge difference between saying you're a Christian and being a Christian. There are many, as it says, who will say that they believe or say that they have done these things for God. 
or believe in that. I don't think they do it out of a, out of a, a, a way of trying to be deceptive about it or deceptive to themselves about it. It is a, a sad case, really, that there are those who fully believe that they, that the, those pearly gates, as we sing, will be opened unto them. And we know, as it says in this in this word, that there will be many of that in that day that will believe that. And Christ will say to them that he never knew them. And I think of that friend arguments I've gotten in with him and it's just each of us trying to win win the argument and how how much I've thought even on that like he just he doesn't understand anything I don't I don't get how you can be that stupid thing that is being dealt with and my harsh way of of arguing with him and us bickering about it isn't going to mean anything on that day What will matter is whether or not he has come to know that truth and been given that grace to repent. And I'm sure many of us here have people like that. And I hope not as many people have dealt, dealt with it the same way that I have. But how much we need to pray for those unbelievers. And it seems, I don't know if it needs to be more or less. I don't think there's a, a scale of what needs to be done. But not to forget those. That think they, they have that truth but have nothing within them. That do not have Christ within them. sure as many of you guys, many, many people here have heard, and I know, I've heard so many people say, well, you just think just because you're from that church, you think that might be the only church that's saved, or you guys are the only ones that know the truth, and it's not that at all, and I know we all know that here, it's not that at all, it doesn't matter what church you might go to. If you have this word, this truth, again, not a small word, that truth is a heavy, heavy word. If you have this truth, you are a child of God. Time is passing here, but... And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which bringeth forth not good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he that cometh unto me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. 
goes on further to add to what what I've already said that there are those there was a think that they've grown up and in, in, into a strong tree or think that they are of that wheat in that crop. And I mean, you know in a crop that not everything that's gathered up into that combine is what's going to go, what's going to go on. How much of it is, is thrown out the back and left to dry up and blow away. And how much more God's Word does that than just the wind. It's not... God doesn't just just lightly blow and, and some of it might go back into the soil or whatever. This is, is burned up with unquenchable fire and a fan is blowing on it as well. An absolute separation of those that are, are, are without from those that have. And what we have is God and what we have is Christ Jesus living within us. I think back to that song that we sing as kids that that house is built upon a rock we cannot build build our own our own faith or the, or that house on sand that rock is Christ Jesus if we stray from that and and build half of our house on on Christ Jesus and half of it on our own understanding it's going to tip over that edge we need to be firmly placed upon that rock that that house may stand or that tree might might have root in that ground and not be able to be be chopped down when that judgment comes that it might stand firm and we have that within us and Jesus answering said unto him suffer it to be so now for thus it becometh us oh I'm sorry I skipped those verses there. Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he suffered him. know that I have any special understanding on these verses, and, but it does strike me as amazing. And I'm sure there's been many verses, many sermons spoke on that, and I, I don't recall. But how amazing it, it seems to me that even, and I feel very much that I would be in John's shoes there, amazed and Maybe even a little embarrassed, I think, for myself that someone embarrassed and ashamed or, or whatever else that God, God in, as man, Christ Jesus, would asking me to baptize him if I was in that place. That is, I think, what strikes me as amazing here, and I, I know it, that is what what is being said here on the surface how what a remarkable thing that God would ask him that he would need to have this done of him Why it doesn't seem to me that that would need to be done and maybe like I said I don't know that I have any special understanding on that but I do, do see that we are servants of Christ We are servants of Christ, and He is also a servant to us, and our Lord and our Savior. Not to bring Him down at all by saying He is our servant. We know that He is our comforter. He is our all in all, as I have said. He is, he is everything. And Jesus, when He was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. And lo, the heavens were opened unto Him, and He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And we know up until this point, 
And this is another thing that I, I don't quite comprehend, I suppose, because we know that Christ Jesus was God. He was one third part of that, that, that triune God. But in Malachi, that last chapter, and what a beautiful chapter, I supposed, in one way, as believers, to read in the Old Testament and, and how much it tells of what is to come. The fourth chapter of Malachi, for behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saying, The Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. How much that's similar to the chapter we just read. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of righteousness arise with healing in his wings. And ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, and they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with the curse. And actually, I think Uncle George might have referred to that last week as well. Or maybe another day, but I don't remember, but I do remember him. That Elijah did come again, and John... And turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers. And how much that is true, and and we also read here in the New Testament that we would, Christ comes to bring that division as as well. He's a sword that, that, that splits everything, and then he turns father against daughter, and then all family against each and every other one of their family or, or however I know it doesn't say that but I don't know the exact wording but he comes with that truth and that truth was given to him even that understanding was given to Christ in that verse here the heavens were opened on him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him I think in Isaiah it says I kind of touched on these verses before Christmas there in Isaiah 11, And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of fear of the Lord, and shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness shall he judge the poor, and reprove the equity for the meek of the earth, and reprove with it, I think I said that, and he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked, and righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins, and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. there that as far as I understand and as far as we can read there that there were, I mean other than the, that instance when he was a young man I don't know if it says an age 12 or so but 
that he was preaching in the temple. But other than that, we Christ never did any preaching until this time. And here in Isaiah, I think this is what it was speaking of. That that spirit of the Lord would rest upon him and give him that wisdom and understanding. And what a, a difficult thing for me to understand that Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior, the, the King of the King of Heaven, would need to have anything given to him, anything added. And we even know in that next chapter there that he was tempted of the devil and had to, and afterwards was was counseled by the by the angels. Those things don't really make sense to my natural thinking or understanding. But what was given to him that in that instance, and I don't think he was entirely devoid of understanding. That's not at all what I'm saying. But I think what he was given there. And what was, I don't know, I don't even know if I totally understand about how fully he was able to know the truth. And like I said, I'm not saying he didn't know that before as well. But what a blessing it is that Jesus looks on the world, as it says here in that 11th chapter of Isaiah. It is a blessing to, to believers and a, and a warning, I suppose, to unbelievers. And the Spirit of the Lord, I will just read this again because of, of how fully it explains itself. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of fear of the Lord. And this is where I feel so how, how blessed we are and why, why it is so important that we need to pray for others, non-believers, that they may see the blessing in these verses as well and not have to be unknowingly turned away from God or, or it seems so much it is, I think, not worse or, or better, but so much sadder a situation to those that have hardened their hearts against God. These next three verses in Isaiah, And he shall make of him quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness shall he judge the poor, and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. And righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins, and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. Those are encouraging or comforting words to a believer. And like I said, may we pray for those that are in unbelief, or that have turned away, that they may see the blessing in those verses again. Christ didn't come to just if if Christ decided that he needed to to reprove by what he saw or to or to get after anybody by what he heard which one of us would make it to heaven I don't think any of us would make it but he does those things with the truth of God and the truth of this word he uses that word as that separation between what is good and what is wrong. And what a blessing to us that he does so. Pray for those that do not see those verses as, as, as a good thing. Or do not see a comfort in those verses. And rest on God that spirit had given Jesus that, that understanding 
of that truth, that we may have that truth also, and that we may preach that truth, that others may have it as well. In Jesus' name, Amen. Shall we close with the benediction? May the Lord bless thee and keep thee. May the Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. May the Lord make his counte- lift his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. <laughs>